Um, so we're going to be carrying on the Advent series this week. Last week, Steve spoke on Isaiah 60, and he reminded us that the end is written, that God is sovereign, and because of his sovereignty, we have hope. We have hope in our waiting, and because of the hope, we can learn to wait well. And Steve mentioned that in the waiting, even though it can be really hard, is where God can do our best molding and our shaping, and we can be fundamentally changed. So hopefully this morning, I'm going to build on that, and I'm going to be talking about hope and how Jesus was sent to reclaim us. And I want to remind us just how amazing the gift of Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, please could you turn to Isaiah 40. I'm a bit dyslexic, so I'm going to try and read it, but it's quite small in my Bible. (laughs) Um, And then I'm going to pray. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid, and say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He attends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for the truth of those verses. I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come this morning, and as we unpack them, as we look at them, that you'll breathe fresh hope, you'll breathe fresh life, and you'll breathe fresh truth into every single one of us. Amen. So, a bit of Bible knowledge. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, which means it's pre-Jesus' birth, Um, and Isaiah is not the easiest read. He was a prophet to the Israel nation. And up until chapter 40, Isaiah is filled with prophetic warnings from God about the Israelites, about their sin, and the consequences of that sin. When Isaiah 40 was written, the Jews' holy city, which was Jerusalem, was destroyed, and the Jews had been enslaved again. Do you know, I love the Israelites. I find so much comfort in them, because they just did so many things wrong. They were so human. They were a nation that was chosen by God. They were blessed. They were enslaved. They were rescued. And then they sinned. And not just once. They were so stubborn, they tested their leaders, they refused to listen, they wandered around the desert for so many years trying to reach the promised land, which they arrived at, and then they sinned and were enslaved again. They just did not get it. Time and time and time again, they worshipped other gods, they put other things before God, and they refused to trust in God's word or believe that his promises were sovereign. Their sin created a barrier between them and God, and their continued disobedience resulted in their captivity. And it's into that context, which is a context of disobedience, of guilt, of hopelessness, of being lost seemingly without a saviour, I'm guessing of anger, of disappointment, of despair, frustration, questions, doubt, pain, 
And if we're really honest, a set of circumstances that I don't think the Israelites would have chosen, it was into that that God spoke this hope. See, Isaiah 40 is filled not with an empty hope, but it's filled with a hope that has continued for centuries after Isaiah's passing, and it's this hope that we live in today. And I'm so pleased we have hope. <laughs> that we, we all sin. The Bible is clear on that. I am very aware of my many character flaws, as is anyone who spends any time with me. And I know that my sin creates a barrier between me and God. But this was not what God intended. It's not what he desired. And back in Genesis, when he created us, he wanted that relationship with us. You can read in Genesis 3 that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He desired a deep relationship with them. And yet, they sinned. It's a pattern of behavior we are not able to break. We might get better at not sinning, but we will still fall short of God's glory. See, for me, Easter is amazing. You get chocolate, you celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, you mark the tearing of that curtain from the top to the bottom and our freedom. But you can't have Easter without Christmas. Jesus had to be sent first. I joke with the youth that Jesus is the ultimate answer to every Sunday school question but he is also the answer to our sin and to our separation from God. He loved us so much, he became fully human. He didn't wait for us to be ready to receive him, for our lives to be perfect in order. He loved us enough to give up his place in heaven and walk among us, not in a position of power and of luxury and of recognition, but he was the man who walked the earth, caring for the hurting, the broken, the sinners and the unclean. He is the reason we have hope, and he is the reason we can take comfort. He is the hope and the assurance that we live in. See, Isaiah 40 starts with the words, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. God does not have a shortage of words in his vocabulary. He wasn't trying to fill up space in the Bible by repeating the same word twice. Comfort is repeated for a reason. He is a God of comfort, and he longs to bring you comfort. He sees our sin and the consequences of it, and he wants to speak to us his comfort. And then it says, my people. There's an ownership there. We're not unknown. We are not people who are far off. We are God's people. And this is absolutely core to our identity. In our brokenness and our hurts and our disappointments, our hopes deferred, we can so easily lose whose we are. Being loved and belonging to God is not something that ever changes because God does not change. Our identity is not based on how we feel or how well our life is going. It is just a fact. We are God's people. This almighty God who breathed the universe into being, who put the stars into space, who created the insuency ant and the humongous killer whale, he says we are his people. We haven't earned that and we therefore cannot lose it. He chose us. And Isaiah 40 continues... Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. As I said earlier, this passage was written when because of the Israelites' relentless sin, Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was in ruins. And God chose to speak hope over those ruins. And make no mistake, it's a choice. And it's one that he is pleased to make. He doesn't need us. He loves us and he chooses us. It's clear throughout the Bible that sin has consequences for our relationship with God. There is a penalty to pay, and it's Jesus that paid it. So I love the way the message describes it in Romans 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. 
Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation, the spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Amen. See, God provided the answer to the problem we had created. The Bible from cover to cover is the greatest love story ever written. It's a story of unrelenting grace, of selfless sacrificial love, of a hope that cannot be diminished and a promise of what is to come. We were slaves to our sin, Romans 6.17, and we have fallen short of God's holy standard. We can be stubborn, we can be set in our ways, and yet God chooses to speak to us in such loving tenderness. The Israelites, nor Jerusalem, lost value because of their sin, or because they were damaged, destroyed, or hurting. And we don't lose value because of our sin, because of our ruins, our destructions, or our disappointments. God can rebuild. We don't have to be whole or forgiven to receive his love. See, I know it's been spoken about before, but there's a tradition in Japan called kintsugi, where objects that are broken are fixed using glue laced with gold. The brokenness is honored, it's not hidden. And as an object is restored, it becomes one of a kind. There will never be another broken object restored in exactly the same way. The brokenness adds to the beauty. I love what Max Licardo says, Jesus comes not with a list of things for you to do, but with a list of things he has already done and will do. Jesus lifts your burdens, he doesn't add to them. All of our sins have been paid for. This is such an important truth to remind ourselves and each other of. I was on a course recently, and during one of the breakout sessions, we had to discuss how were we born again. I was really confused, I'm not going to lie, because I was like, that's a really weird question. The leader explained that how we are born affects us. When he was born, he was dead. His umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck. There had also been a mistake in his due date, and he was born with loads of medical issues, which affected him in his physical development as he was growing up. How we are born again affects us. If we are not able, or we do not allow ourselves to grasp the truth that because of Jesus, all of our sins are paid for, we are not able to live fully in the hope that he gives. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world we might be saved. See, I had a somewhat turbulent start to my Christian life, and when I came back to God for the last time, I was born into shame. I realized how dirty I was. I was in India at the time on a short-term mission trip, and I became absolutely convinced that the only way for me to be clean was to be baptized for a second time. And the leaders were like, no, once is enough. And I'm like, no, you don't understand how much I've sinned. I'd only got half the gospel. I knew my sins could be forgiven. I knew I'd fallen short of God's glory. I knew the sin was on me. But I hadn't got the other half of the message. My hard service had been completed and my sin had been paid for. I didn't fully understand. I lived in shame and condemnation for the things in my past and choices that I had made. Are you able to take the freedom that he offers you? So often we can feel too unworthy and we disqualify ourselves. Oh, it's, it's for everyone else but it's not for me. You don't really know how bad my sin is. No, no, no. 
I want to tell you again this morning that all of your sins are paid for. He personally carried our sins on his body to the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. 1 Peter 2.24, we live in the hope that Jesus brings. It's such an amazing truth to grapple with. And if it has stirred something in you, please go home, spend some time with God, speak to a friend, get prayer. Because shame and guilt have no place here. Shame and guilt have no place in the body of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And God's love for us is so vast that not only are our sins forgiven, but he wants to move us along. And Isaiah 40 continues, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. When I read this, I think, what a lot of hard work. (laughs) I am just not made to do those kind of things. I struggle to weed my garden. I am not built to raise valleys and remove the tops of mountains. But there's a cultural context here. And Simon touched on this when he preached a couple of months ago. The arrival of royalty requires preparation. Historically, when royalty went on a journey, people went ahead of them to prepare the way. Bridges were made, hills were leveled, forests had paths cut through them. All obstructions for their arrival were removed. What an amazing promise of hope. But also, what a call of responsibility to each other. See, Mark included these verses at the start of his gospel. The Jews of the time will have understood the historic context and the significance of the Old Testament scriptures. Mark was inviting his readers to look back and remember what God had done for them. When Isaiah prophesied that deliverer will come and make straight paths in the desert, there's a jolt back to the Israelites' history. Hold up, a deliverer leading us out of captivity through the desert? That's something God's done before. And for the Israelites, it was one of the most significant identity-changing moments of their lives. What shapes our identity? Is it the deep love God has for us? Is it the acceptance we live in because of the gift of Christmas and all that Jesus won for us? Or is it other things that we have allowed to creep in? See, a couple of years ago, I became quite unwell, very depressed. Now, I'd had depression before, but this time it was fundamentally different. It kept in really slowly, and if I'm honest, I didn't notice until it was too late. I also, much to my own detriment, I hid it really well. I didn't want to let anybody in. It was my problem. But what happened was slowly the way I saw myself and who I believed I was changed from the truth God speaks over every single one of us. In my eyes, I no longer was a daughter of the king. I wasn't cherished. I wasn't someone who had friends. I had people who cared for me, but only as a Christian project, because they had to be nice. I believed to my core I was rejected, that I was worthless and I was not good enough. I lost my banter, my sarcasm, and my complete sense of belonging. I developed social anxiety, and situations terrified me. If I'm honest, some things still do. I started to have panic attacks. I was broken and I was lost. See, my once healthy lands became a wilderness, and my identity shifted from truth to lies. I needed to realign myself with the truth. And you know what? It was really hard, and it was absolutely terrifying. Because it is so much easier to believe lies about ourselves instead of what God says about us. So much easier to live in self-condemnation, guilt, or even condemnation that others have wrongly spoken over us. 
It's so much easier to believe those things than believe we are no longer slaves to our own sin. But in my brokenness and the dying of my healthy insides, the spreading of my own desert and a wasteland, I had people who continually called and spoke the hope of Jesus Christ over me. For me, this passage is not just about the Old Testament context, but it's a reality check for all of us. Are we allowing our hearts to be prepared and are we making room for God? And are we rising up and speaking into each other's lives the hope and the promise that Jesus won for us? Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What a promise of hope. And what a promise of resurrection and new life to come. Verses 6 and 7 make clear two things. We are unlike God. He is timeless. He is stable. He is our absolute foundation. He is dependable. He is never going to go away and he is never going to leave us. We, however, will wither and we will fall. This is not just about the start and the beginning of life. It's about the journey that life takes. And we all know that life, and I mean just life, It's really hard. There are many times when we feel really weak and tired and exhausted. And I know for me there have been times, and there still are times, depressed and undepressed, when my circumstances have meant I simply have felt I cannot go on. I have lost count of the number of times I have said to God, I am done. That's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Please, just no more. And you know what is so gloriously full of grace is his response. The word of our God endures forever. That means it endures past our present circumstances. It endured in our pasts and it is there in our futures. We can have such hope. Not only in the promise that Jesus brought, but in the sovereignty and the control of God. We will wither and fall. Yet 2 Corinthians 12, 19, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He is unfailing His internal word brings life and it brings hope, no matter what we are facing. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was sent to us. He sets us free from our sin and from our slavery. He took the punishment we deserved and brings glory and restoration to our brokenness. He loves us and he calls us to love each other. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Small plug to invite people to the carol service next week. Grab your leaflets on the way out of church. You see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Amen. His reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What a beautiful picture. There is such gentleness about the way he saves and leads us. It's not with a cattle prod. It doesn't shout at us, come on, your freedom's over here. It's with understanding and love. See, the shepherd protects the sheep, and he cares for them. He holds them in his arm and close to his heart. The sheep will have spent enough time with the shepherd to know his voice. They will trust it. They are familiar with it. There's no fear. They have understood the shepherd's love for them. We have no fear in drawing near to God and accepting his forgiveness or drawing near to God and accepting his love. 
because such love has no fear. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. 1 John 4, 18. Do you know his voice well enough to respond to it? Do you trust him enough to accept his love? See, for me, this is a battle I still face, probably on nearly a daily basis. See, I still have things that cause me unexplained terror. There are still things that make me really anxious, weird things. But I know what God wants me to do in those moments. And in those moments, I have a choice. I have to choose to not allow those lies that I have believed to be the dictator of my day. I have to choose to not allow those things to affect my relationships with others and my relationship with God. I have to choose to listen to the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I have to choose to respond to the one who holds me in his arms and carries me close to his heart, who looked at my brokenness and spoke hope, the one who brings restoration and rebuilds when everything else seems lost. But what's so amazing is that that's, just not, that's not just for me, it's for everybody. Jesus came to reclaim us all. He became fully human, entering the world into a manger. He grew up sinless. He loved the broken and the hurting and those looked down upon by society. He submitted to his Father's will, laying down his life for the forgiveness of sins. And now he's raised in glory, still sinless, still loving, still compassionate, and still calling us his people. His gift of salvation has not changed, and it cannot change. We are his, and he has provided the way for our total forgiveness. I saw this yesterday, um, this little quote, and I really liked it, by someone called St. John Climacus. Um, To repent is not to look downwards at my own shortcomings, but upwards at God's love. It is not to look backwards with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness. It is to see... Not what I have failed to be, but what by the grace of God I might yet become. I really believe this morning God wants to remind us that we are what he has done for us, how much he loves us, and that we are his forever. As I was preparing this, um, God gave me two words for some people here, which I'm going to share. Firstly, I believe there are some people here who have never really understood what Jesus has done for you how loved you are. That what has been done to you, what you have done to others, what you have done to yourselves, thoughts you may have had, choices you have made, things you maybe look at in private, you feel all of that disqualifies you from being reclaimed. And God wants to tell you this morning that you're wrong, with a capital W. He came for you, and his voice is crying in the wilderness for you. You are able to stand before him because of all that Jesus has won. And secondly, I believe there are another group of people here who know that they are saved. They don't doubt that. You don't doubt God's love or his goodness. But my goodness, you are tired. Your circumstances are not what you would have chosen in your life. Life is hard. You know, you know God's sovereign. And it's not that you've made the intention to stop moving forward. But you are tired. And God wants to say to you this morning, comfort, comfort my people. Take hope, because his word endures forever. 
You know, your earthly situations, they may not change overnight, but that does not change the fact that the end is written. We live in eternal hope because God's word endures. We know how this story will end. We will fade, but he who has called us is faithful, and so we can have hope. Amen.